Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome everybody once again to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, and with me as always is the maestro of mail order mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Today's returning guests are Teresa Maza and Jenny Crabtree. All right, everyone. So we have some terrific, we got a terrific topic tonight. I'm, I'm really excited to get into. But first, we have a few announcements to to talk about some of our, our friends of the, the show. And we're going to start off with Todd Machen and his Sea Monkey Kingdom. So for all your Sea Monkey needs, head over to c-monkeys.com. They are always putting out some new products there. So if you are just getting into Sea Monkeys or you want to uh, add to your collection, head on over to his website. And I also want to give a personal thank you to Todd for sending me a care package of uh, Sea Monkey paraphernalia, I guess. Uh, I had talked to him a few weeks ago about getting my nieces, which are three and five, into Sea Monkeys because they are real big into insects and animal and wildlife and all that. So I said, hey, what would be more perfect than to give them sea monkeys and be disappointed in the, uh, you know, what they're able to see like we were when we were a kid. So he sent me over two cool little uh, sea monkey aquariums for them and uh, also a a kit for myself because my original sea monkeys died. So I'm going to start them back up and hopefully get a nice little underwater kingdom going. And he also sent me their cards, which are, if nobody's ever seen them, head over to the website. They have these greeting cards, and it is based on the original artwork by Joe Orlando from 1972. And the artwork's reimagined by by Todd, and they look fantastic. So c-monkeys.com. Also, our magician friend, our horror magician friend, Chuck Caputo, you could find him on YouTube. Just go in the search bar, type in Chuck Caputo, or his more updated site is under his wife's name, Sherry Caputo, and that's C-H-E-R-I. Last name is spelled C-A-P-U-T-O. And he has some great magic videos there that are just just mind-blowing. You you guys will will absolutely love it. Check that out. Also, man, I am super excited for this one, and, and we've been announcing this for weeks but stupid comics magazine has finally put out their their fifth issue which is actually number four because they started off with number zero so they're on issue number four now just came out a few days ago i'm really excited to to order this and head over to stupidcomicsmagazine.com and that's stupid spelled s-t-o-o-p-i-d stupidcomicsmagazine.com and if you've never seen the the magazine it is a just a mashup of the far side, um, crack magazine, mad magazine, all rolled into one black and white uh, comic. It is absolutely hilarious. So check that that out. Also, our uh, magic and mentalist friend Dave Haversat. He has a great website with uh, some awesome books on magic. Uh, that is 1878 Press, and that is 1878press.com. Head over, check that out. Also, our hypnotist and magician friend, Mike Mesner, he has a great site. If you're ever in need of a uh, a hypnotist, you will not be disappointed. His website is mesmer.weebly.com, and that's M-E-Z-M-E-R, mesmer.weebly.com. Head over there, check that out. Also, I have a great article with the Three Stooges and Scary Monsters magazine number 122, which is on sale now. It is the Never Say Die issue. You can find it at MyMovieMonsters.com or at your local bookstore. Check it out. It's a fantastic magazine with all classic horror and sci-fi and a few uh, newer, I would say, movies if you count the 80s as newer, but mostly all classics. So you'll absolutely love it. It's a fantastic magazine uh, in the tradition of the magazines that came out in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Also... Head over to Etsy.com and put in the search bar Atomic Monster Magazine. And this is a brand new magazine that's that's being pre-ordered right now by Dr. Shrek's Haunted Tiki Drive-In. And it is just 
it is a glorious magazine of of horror and sci-fi some old some new it's a mashup of movies tv collectibles you guys will absolutely love it it's issue number one is on sale and hey you know what better way than to uh, support independent magazine publishers than to purchase atomic monster magazine number one i have several articles in there and i i couldn't be prouder of how the magazine uh came out and uh how it's all set up it just it looks absolutely fantastic in bright vivid color uh, also, I want to give a thank you to Eddie for sending me The Gathering, Terror in a Box. It is, it looks really, really cool, Eddie. Um, I, I can't wait. I'm not really into, you know, I haven't really done any magic, so I can't wait to try it out. And I'm sure once I turn this over to you, that you more about that, about The Gathering, Terror in a Box. So we'll leave it at that until it gets to you. And also our very, very, very special announcement today to finish it all up is our good friend Eddie Guevara turns 120 today. So happy birthday, Eddie. And I want to sing you a nice happy birthday song. Mm, Happy birthday to you. You live in a zoo. You look like a monkey. And you smell like one, too. (laughs) Happy birthday, Eddie. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't expect that. (laughs) You know, when I was was thinking about that, I said, man, I remember this song that we sung to our friends back in like the, I don't know, 80s or so, you know, at school. And I said, you know, I'm going to sing that to Eddie tonight. I bet you no one's heard that in a while. And if you have, well, you get to hear it again from my amazing Broadway voice. So that's Amazing. all we got. What's that? Amazingly, I sang that to my grandson today playing with him. <laughs> <laughs> there, oh, that's right. It's his birthday, too. So no, to, actually, uh, my granddaughter, granddaughter, sorry. Your granddaughter. So, well, happy birthday to your granddaughter if she's uh, listening to this maybe in the future or so. But, um, okay, that's all for the announcements today. So I'm we, we got two great guests today. We got Jenny and Teresa. They are back on the podcast uh, they're super excited to be talking to everybody and they got some great stories, but first I'd like to hear maybe what's new with them and give them a chance to, uh, say their little piece before we get started. So, uh, Teresa, we're going to start off with you. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Glad you could be here. And, uh, what's new with you? Thank you, Joe. I'm so honored to be, uh, back on the pod for, I think this is my third time now. So I feel very honored. Um, you know, and, uh, Enjoying the summer, um, you know, trying to get away here and there, but nothing particularly too exciting. Um, but yeah, excited to be here and excited to talk about some urban legends today. Awesome. Well, yeah, welcome back. And I believe this is your your third time. So, you know, mm-hmm. they say third time's a charm. So, uh, Jenny, welcome back. This is your second time. You were just on a few weeks ago talking with Urban Legends, which was a, a hit podcast. People just, they seem to be really digging urban legends and UFO and cryptid type conversations. So we said, you know what, bring you back and tell some more stories. So Jenny, welcome back. And what's new? Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm uh, pleased I've been inviting back. Um, probably the same really. Uh, actually, my main new thing at the moment is I've, I've just got a new job. So I'm trying to get my head around all of that fun when everything is brand new. Um <laughs> But luckily, uh, as Teresa said, it's summer, so it's at least we get to then relax in the the nice, light, warm evening. So uh, it's really nice. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Welcome back. And uh, before I turn it over to Eddie, I almost uh, forgot one more quick announcement uh, for my brother out there, Chuck Caputo. Uh, I, he, he sent me a great book today and a DVD on magic. I, I think he wants me to learn magic and um, replace him as a horror magician, Chuck. I'll give it my best shot, but uh, no, I, I, in all seriousness, thank you. I, I really love this. I can't wait to dig into your book and check out this, uh, this DVD on, on how to learn magic. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot and maybe make a video of, uh, of, of what I've learned and maybe of, of how to do the gathering, uh, since that is the, the new product. And speaking of that, Eddie Guevara, happy 120th birthday, brother. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Always a pleasure. Um, you know, it's, uh, now that you mentioned that gathering and stuff, I was talking earlier with Chuck Caputo today because 
I said, Chuck, we need to come out with something unique this year. And the best thing is, since we've started this line of magic tricks, which altogether we produced a total of eight, of which I've been going crazy creating the packaging for all of them. Uh, everything has been done. I had to call our friend Todd Matchin there, who's got the experience for help. And, and he agreed, even though he says to me all the time, no, I, I won't. No, I can't. He said, okay, Eddie, I'll take care of it. Um, he always comes through at the end, of course. And the whole thing is he's helping me with the packaging right now because that box, the artwork there took me quite some time to put together. Uh, Todd helped me do the bleed for the box so that it will be uploaded to the proper channels to be printed. Now, what me and Chuck were talking about this really fascinating. We're talking about putting out a special professional magician's magic for we're talking a thing with a steel attache case. It's going to be phenomenal, and it's only for professional magicians. We're not going to cut corners. It's going to be the only magic set ever available that's for professional magicians. So that's in the pike right now. Other than that, everything's fantastic. I'm actually dying to hear with uh, Jenny and uh, Teresa there. And one of the things that was kind of interesting, Jenny, I don't know if uh, I guess Joe mentioned before, but the podcast you were recently on, even though we have an estimated re, uh, listenership of about, I think, 5,036 people right now, that particular week that you were on, it actually went a little bit over the 6,000 people that heard us. So I, I thought that that was really amazing. Um, oh, wow. A lot of people commented on your accent, which is... <laughs> as long as they can understand me, because I know it's a bit thick. <laughs> well, I, I think that's what... The uh, Loch Ness and the, since you said you had been to Loch Lake, and, uh, you know, that's very interesting among people today. Uh, people love that stuff. So, anyway, having said that, uh, Joe, take it from here and ask the questions. All right. So, we are definitely going to get into more uh, urban legends and cryptic stuff. Like Eddie was saying, it, it, they're some of our most popular episodes, and we always enjoy talking about them. So, hey, if we could put out, you know, more of them, that's what we're going to do. So, um, Jenny, we were talking before the show, and you had an interesting story about uh, actually being at Loch Ness. Do you want to uh, dig into that a little bit for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking uh, it was only last year that I went, but I went with this big COVID bubble. Um, I think it was three years ago, and it always feels like everything feels like last year because COVID has no time anymore, does it? <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, yeah, so we uh, we drove down the length of uh, Loch Ness. So it would be almost three years ago now, because um, my partner he, he's Australian and he's he'd never been to Scotland, so we thought we'd go and have a look. Um, but unfortunately, he wouldn't come in the water with me, so I, I insisted. I thought I wanted to go and have a swim and you know see. Um, unfortunately, I personally didn't see anything. <laughs> it was it was very cold. Um, so one of the unusual things, even though it was summertime, is the lock is is very. It's I think it's the deepest lock in Scotland. So it's a big glacial lock. So it's like really vertical V shape lock, and it's filled with a lot of uh, peat. Obviously, being Scotland, so the visibility is is almost zero. It's a really difficult one to manoeuvre. So I think that's why even though people have scoured the lock and sent, you know, sonar ships and all sorts up and down, it's actually a really difficult bit of water to kind of get anything from. So <clears throat> I can understand why people, you know, if they've seen something, it's kind of really hard to pinpoint anything. Um, and then the locals were telling us, which I, I didn't realise, I thought Loch Ness was quite a recent thing, but apparently the first sighting of Loch Ness, or Nessie, sorry, uh, was in the fifth century. So, you know, 1500 years ago, um, and apparently it was uh, something, uh, some creature or whatever they thought it was, started biting all the swimmers in Loch, in Loch Ness. Um, and they had to get the priests in to kind of shoo, shoo away this, you know, awful creature that was biting all the, all the people in there. Um, so it's actually, it's a much older legend than I thought it was. But it wasn't until the sort of 1930s, I think, when people could start taking photos or Obviously, there's very famous fakes that, or at least would prove fake, that I think people started capturing, like, you know, imagery of what they thought might be something in the water. So that's when it kind of took off as probably in the last century. But yeah, it's actually, it was a very, it's a really old, old um, myth, which I never realized until I visited there. Well, that's, I didn't, 
how far does it go back again? Because I, I thought it was more of a, uh, a recent type. Yeah, story. yeah. So it goes back to the, the 5th century, so wow. 1,500 years ago. Um, and so all so that's what the locals told me. That's um, so it was written by St. Columbia. So that was like one of the, I think one of the local uh, monasteries had, because they're probably the only people at the time that had, you know, equipment to write. So that was the first written account. So, you know, perhaps it was, it's been longer. Um, but I think certainly the introduction of, you know, cameras and things like that have uh, made it more appealing for people. <laughs> I, I think when, when you're saying, Joe, what, um, maybe you guys were thinking it was earlier is because it became popular when a more modern person took a, a picture of it. Yeah. So that's what she's saying, it, but it's, I've heard of it. Uh, and I've even saw it in the History Channel. It dates back to way, way back, like you said, the 5th and 6th century, you know? Yeah, because I believe that photo was, what, from like 30, 1933 or 34. And I, mm -hmm. I thought that's kind of, you know, when when all it started, either shortly before that or at that time. Yeah, I had no idea that it actually went back, you know, over 1,500 years. I, that's pretty crazy. It definitely did. Um, what about you, Teresa? you have any great legends you can bring to the table? <laughs> um, I don't think of the magnitude of the Loch Ness Monster, no. But um, it's so interesting, though. I've, I've always known of the Loch Ness Monster um, just through my mother. She... Um, Growing up, you know, in Europe, um, and she's specifically specifically in Manchester. But um, I remember when I was little, there's this book that she has called Strange Stories and Amazing Facts. And I was so obsessed with it. And I remember there being a whole chapter on the Loch Ness Monster and like these sort of grainy, almost snaky looking figure uh, kind of coming out of the water. Um, so anyway, I just, it's, it still fascinates people to this day. So I think, I don't even know what the most recent sighting was, but I think it was pretty recent. So I'd have to, I'd have to look that up. Um, no, oh, you're going to say something, Eddie? No, no, go. I haven't said that. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I'm, um, and I don't know what you guys had spoken about, uh, prior on the prior podcast about, um, other potential urban myths and legends, but I'm just going to talk about my experience growing up. Um, and one of the things that we had done, um, and I grew up here in New Jersey, just to remind everybody, um, that when I was little, we used to play this game called Bloody Mary. And I don't know if, you know, Joe, you remember doing this as a kid or you and your friends. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, yeah. you do? You'd go oh, into yeah. like, you'd be at a sleepover and you'd Usually it was a bathroom um, or a bedroom maybe and you'd shut the lights off and you guys would you know you and your friends would chant you know bloody mary bloody mary and i think you know into the mirror and of course we'd all be like terrified that we'd see this spirit of a woman i'm not even sure who bloody mary is potentially an you know an old english queen who might have gotten her head cut off not completely sure but um it was never explained to us but <laughs> the the legend was that she would appear in the mirror and after none, no one stuck around to see if she appeared in the mirror, by the way. So I'm not really sure what was supposed to happen, but we were supposed to see her and, and obviously be pretty scared. So not completely familiar with the background or, or why that became such a big hit, but um, it was a big hit at sleepovers in the, uh, in the eighties and nineties. I will tell you that. You know what, Teresa, that, that's funny that you mentioned it because I haven't thought about that in probably over 20 years about, you know, Bloody Mary. And I'll tell you what was funny too, which you guys will probably remember this is when Beetlejuice came out, you mm -hmm. know, that was such a, a hit movie and such a, you know, such a, it was just a fun movie. We were all chanting Beetlejuice, trying to summon Beetlejuice the same way we would do Bloody Mary. <laughs> but yeah, I think came. I do remember that. Yeah. So anyway, that was just, that was just what one little thing that I remembered. Um, you know, from very early on, just being like the first encounter with an urban legend, you know, we're just supposed to see something again, I wasn't sure what was supposed to happen. You know, somebody thought they saw something and then someone flicked on the lights and we all ran out. So that's as far as it usually went. No, nobody stuck around. <laughs> yeah, I don't you remember know any of my friends sticking around either. I think we all ran out of the room where somebody tried to, you know, give a jump scare or something and we all ran yep. out, you know, screaming or whatnot. But yeah, man, I haven't thought about that in years. And that was that was like a staple of like sleepovers. That was like the 
the uh you know the the start of the sleepover night you know because usually you stayed up all night and you know you talked played games or whatnot but that was mm-hmm. usually the start you know or we did it you know real late at night you know usually yes. around midnight or so i exactly i guess i feel very old now that you mentioned that because uh, i never heard of that <laughs> really but, you never heard of bloody mary no i i didn't it's kind of new to me that's why i'm kind of like uh listening to uh terry there and i'm like what but i i'll tell you what one of my buddies gave me a whopper of a legend that's been around for a long time in pennsylvania where he grew up uh, technically he didn't grow up in pennsylvania his family had uh an old farmhouse in pennsylvania and the farmhouse was really old so he was telling me that when he would go there with his brothers and sisters one day the electricity went out and he would go to the basement and in the basement, he said they had the old fuses, the ones that you would screw into the wall. When oh, it yeah. went out, you had to go buy another one instead of just flicking the switch like we have today. But the more interesting part about it was he said that um, one time it was very interesting. Uh, his, uh, his sisters were watching TV and the TV blew up. And the reason it blew up, it literally blew up, was because they had stuck a penny behind the, um, the fuses to make the electricity work because they would make it work. But since the fuse is no longer active, it's just directly in. When uh, a lightning bolt hit the house, it actually went straight to the TV where the television blew up. <laughs> no, no one was hurt, but it was funny. But he told me that there was a legend that they always said there was a man in the brown derby hat. And, and the man in the brown derby hat was a legend that he would walk the grounds, whatever. And his father told him, of course, he says he probably was to scare him that he had seen him, but nobody had seen him. Now, the thing that was kind of crazy about this legend was that one day, you know, the house got very dilapidated and stuff, and the family didn't want to keep it up anymore. So they actually had um, the fire department, I think, came and used it. And instead of demolishing the house, what they did, they used it as uh, to train people on fire and stuff, and they actually burned it down. Uh, they said a week later, they went by him and the dad and stuff, but they were walking. They actually found a brown derby hat <laughs> in the area. And <laughs> and I think <laughs> they kept the brown derby hat. I, I don't know. He doesn't know exactly what happened to it, but it was kind of uh, funny the way that the legend was. And then they actually found the brown derby hat that was left over. That was left from the house that had burned down, a brown derby hat. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of tales out there like that where you know there's always something uh left over i believe there's a a, a, a real famous uh religious painting I, I believe it's of the virgin mary that was in a uh in, in a church and the church burnt down and the painting was like the only thing left and it was kind of untouched so there's there's tons of stories like that you know across the world where you know something would burn down and there's you know one object uh you know that's left untouched now uh uh jenny have you heard any of the, any stories like that you know from over uh in europe where there might have been like some kind of catastrophe yet there's just you know this important object that is pretty much been left untouched um i heard like you about the that one and i think it was a church and the the image of mary survived i feel like that's something one of the spanish ones because they're it's very Catholic country and they have those kind of. Yeah, I believe, but... I believe it was from Spain. I, I can't remember exactly where or what year that it, it had happened, but yeah, I believe it was somewhere, um, somewhere around there. There's also another one where a stack of Bibles uh, didn't get touched. Well, I, I guess just the outer portion of them uh, burned, but the inner pages were, were left untouched. So there's, I mean, there's tons of stories, you know, out there like that, but uh What's some other stories that you have from uh, from over in Europe? I'm sure you've got a, a ton in your pocket. Well, I, I actually have one, uh, which because um, Teresa reminded me of stuff that you said when you know when you were younger um, mm-hmm. about New York. Um, so I'd never been to New York when I was younger, and uh, we used to say, or we used to, we heard um, that people used to have pet alligators and crocodiles here, and then they would flush them down the toilet. And then, (laughs) so, and then New York sewers were overrun with, um, crocodiles and alligators. And so you wouldn't want to go to New York because they might come out on the street. And I genuinely believed it, to be honest. Um, it wasn't Uh, until I was older and I was like, well, I don't think they'd 
they'd survive down there. Now that I live here, I think, oh, they definitely wouldn't be able to survive down there. <laughs> uh, um, poor, poor things, I'd feel sorry for them if they did. But yeah, that was, that was one of the ones where we genuinely believed it as kids. We're like, oh, alligators on the streets of New York. So, Jenny, that's so funny. I got to tell you something, Jenny and Teresa and stuff. You guys, uh, and, and I think we talked about it on the shows. Back in the 1960s and 70s, they used to sell baby alligators through the mail. And what? they used to sell, yeah, th this is a fact. This is not, you know, fake. And the reason those urban legends appear is because it was actually true at one time. They many a times found small baby alligators throughout the sewage in New York, which <laughs> the reason was is that the kids would buy them. In fact, Todd right now actually was able to acquire recently. I know he's giving me a big beef about it because he says that Dr. Saab beat me in getting him uh, collectibles. He was able to acquire an actual catalog, I think, in a box where they would send packed little baby turtles. And there was a company that would sell them from Florida. I think it was called Aqua Pets or something like that. And you can buy squirrel monkeys. You would get a baby wow. raccoon, a baby alligator. So what happened is a lot of the kids that bought them, especially in the New York City area, uh, would, you know, after the alligator grew a foot or so, they couldn't keep it. They probably just let it out in the sewers. So it, believe it or not, I'm not saying they survived for a long time, but that legend that you heard has some truth behind it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, the poor poor things, if they're flushed down there, hopefully they get rescued or, you know, don't have to be there very long. But yeah, no, we, we thought they were like, you know, monsters, these things. Mm. They'd obviously grown too big and, you know, you wouldn't want to go near a storm drain. Um, it was a genuine concern of, you know, like a seven-year-old group of kids. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's funny, Jenny, because, you know, it, I've never been to Loch Ness and, and still as, you know, I, I'm 40 years old and, you know, I, I, I've traveled and, you know, I've, I, I guess I've got a decent head on my shoulders. But if I was still to go to Loch Ness, I, I wouldn't, I would be afraid to swim in it because I'd be thinking in the back of my head, this Loch Ness monster is going to come up and eat me or drag me down. <laughs> Even though, you know, it's an urban legend, you know, like you thinking there was alligators in the sewer, I would still think going to Loch Ness that there's this monster in there. And if something touched my foot, man, I, I'd, I'd be booking it out of there, man, because I, it would just be, you know, it's just something it would just be in the back of my head. And I'd be like, nope. So I, again, oh yeah, yeah. You definitely. <laughs> when I when I swam, I was jumping at every bit of seaweed. That's that's like just a thing that was in the water. Yeah, you're definitely hyper aware, even though you're like this can't be like, true. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though you know, like this is ridiculous. No way. But <laughs> there's two things that come to my mind when you guys say this. When I I heard my friend tell you about the ex television explosion, the movie Poultry Guys came to my mind. And when Jenny, you're saying about swimming in Loch Ness, the movie Jaws comes into my mind. Where it shows a little girl on the top swimming and then the big shark underneath. Is that what you experienced there, I guess? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm worried about. But it's all it's all in your head, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, of course. Now now, Teresa, do you have any more uh stories that you know, any more urban um, legends from from when you were younger? Try to think. I mean, we used to play, so we so we moved on from Bloody Mary. And we found Ouija boards. So that was the next sort of like sleepover thing. But of course, you know, the lights go down. Suddenly you're on the Ouija board with your friends. Are you moving it? No, I'm not moving it. And then suddenly it's spelling something. And then someone freaks out. And then, and then the same thing happens. Everyone's out of the room, right? Um, but we got to the point where we nobody wanted to keep the Ouija board no one wanted to take it home basically at the end of the night I don't even know if we were having the sleepover or not I think we all just were too scared and called our parents um so the Ouija board had to go home with somebody um because apparently I think it's like you can't destroy one I think that was sort of the the urban legend about it otherwise whatever spirit that you had conjured up would follow you so so oh this ties perfectly I ended up, and this is, I'm, you know, I would never do this now, obviously, but I threw it in the sewer <laughs> outside of my friend's home. Uh -huh, so, the alligator had it. The yeah, alligator. The, you got alligators down the there summoning demons now. Good job. Exactly. Yeah. No one's coming to New York now. Right? They heard that story. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I never, I never uh, played with Ouija boards and, and 
even as an adult, I, I've, was, I've been kind of interested in them, but I've never, uh, I've never really got into them or studied them a little bit. But I do remember mm-hmm. when I was younger hearing the stories, which I'm sure you guys heard as well, that, you know, there would be a group of kids playing with the Ouija board and something would happen. So they would take it out to their backyard, you know, and burn it, watch it go up in smoke. And then they'd go back in the house and there it would be sitting on the, uh, you know, on the table or something. Oh, you guys ever heard yeah. those stories? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, those were, that's exactly why. You know, I remember hearing out. those as a kid and just being scared. I said, no, I'm not going to touch a Ouija board, this and that. You know, then as you get older, you know, they're, you know, probably, you know, kids, you know, making up nonsense and these, these tall tales. But yeah, those were, those were going around during the eighties. Cause you had the whole, uh, satanic panic going and everything and you know they equated the ouija board with satanism and all that so you had all these crazy stories of demons being summoned people being possessed and of course burning the ouija board turning around and you know there it is you know mm-hmm. in, in you perfect know, uh, form sitting on the table just waiting <laughs> joe i i'm going to tell you something i i never really knew christian of course I'm, i would always stay away from that stuff i that's one of the things even though i'm one of the biggest monster collector out there. I've always stayed away from sort of satanic stuff, but I got to tell you one thing. I didn't know what Ouija boards are until, you know, probably in the mid eighties. Uh, I had never really heard about them. And I, even though I had seen, I never paid attention growing up in the monster era. These when all you saw were Frankenstein films and Dracula films but somehow I went to a flea market one time and I bought one like from the 1940s or 50s. I have no idea what the heck that is. I don't know if it burned down in my in the fire that I had in my collection. So I guess it didn't survive or it's still somewhere in one of my boxes. I, I don't know. But you have a Ouija you, board from the from the 40s. You said? Yeah, I have one. Yes, I have it. It's it's very, very old. Um, and That's what happened cool. is. Like I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know where it is. But I, what I'm going to tell you is that there was a scientific article in the 1980s or 1990s in Popular Mechanics or Popular Science, one of the two. I don't quite remember which one. But the thing that was interesting about it, it explained how they worked. And what basically it's because of the person holding their finger long enough on the centerpiece, your own fingers eventually moves them. Because of the way, you know, your, your hand is positioned there, whatever. But there was a natural, you know, how they actually work. And there's, yeah, a there's like, thing behind yeah, it's like the, the small vibrations that, you know, naturally go through your, your arms and all that. And exactly know, now, or what actually move it. Yeah. One pro- important question here. Is everybody hearing everybody okay here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. No. Yeah. Cause I heard when Teresa said, uh, did I, me and I just want to make sure the microphone is working to it. Oh utmost. no, no! I was just asking because I thought that was just so interesting that it was from the '40s and that you had it. And I was just thinking for that, what a great collector's item, or I, even just an art piece that would be well, cool if you weren't scared. Of, if you weren't as scared of it as I was to look yeah, at it gonna, every it's day, gonna be, it's going to be real. It's going to be real cool that when it shows up on his table after the podcast because yeah, this exactly. thing goes in there. <laughs> You know, and, on his, and on his birthday, no less. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> you, you know what's what's funny about that? I'm very rarely scared of anything. Like I don't, you know, nothing really in my mind. Uh, I put my faith in God and Christ, and I don't really have, you know, like fears of any type of uh, anything. But I can tell you one thing, though. Uh, it's kind of funny that when we say this stuff is, is and this is very important. Uh, Teresa, I have so many things. And they date back to the 20s, 30s, and 50s. I have entire collections of popular science magazines from 1908 through like 1922. I have, and the funny thing is that I have such a huge collection of things that sometimes when I open up a box, it's like going back into history. And and I start looking, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I have this. So that's kind of what makes it be a collector like me. When you open up a box you haven't opened in 25 years and you come across things you didn't even know you had. Uh, the bad part about it is when you go out to a store and you go crazy about buying something and then you realize you had it already. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, man, I just paid so much for something I had. 
but when yeah, you open um, that box and the Ouija board sitting there. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think what I did with it. I know, you know what? It was actually, I think it was like from 19, it's either 1948 or 1952 that the box of the thing set. So it's very old. And I bought it at a flea market that was in Hoboken before they built all those buildings where the old Maxwell house used to be, I guess, wow. Teresa, if you, yeah. if you remember, they had one uh -huh. time a flea market in the early 80s and it was phenomenal it was a huge thing it was outdoors and i remember i used to get a kick of watching the helicopters that would actually land right next right like you could be in by the gate and see them land and take off in this flea market and they had it like once every six months whatever it was and i wonder i think i paid like a dollar fifty for the thing i didn't pay a lot for it but i did get it at the same time there was another game that show like a pendulum and it was something like to hypnotize people. And it was it's something that said on the game ESP. And I bought it because I love the design on the box. That's another game that probably Joe is salivating because I'm mentioning it now. And he's probably going to start hounding me now for me to look for that stuff. Hey, if you find um, it, send it my way. <laughs> it would definitely probably go. You know, the whole thing is that here's the funny thing about this. There's a lot of stuff out there that are super rare, super old. And sometimes you find it in the craziest places. Now, the fact that we live in North Jersey, where we were talking about not too long ago, me and Chuck, or actually me and, and, and Tom, which is Dr. Saab, we were talking about that all the mail order companies, novelty companies of the 50s and 60s were originated in the, I mean, between actually Union City, New Jersey, to Northern Jersey, to Fort Lee, uh, to New York City, and, and most of it in Long Island. But yet, most of the stuff, excluding the companies that used to sell life alligators and all that stuff. And let me tell you, like I said, this was a true thing. In fact, it got, I think if you read about it, you can Google about it. Just Google the problem with the alligators that were sold through the mail, and you'll get a lot of stories of people that actually bought it. I know uh, and this is a story from the guy who actually did. He sent away for the squirrel monkey, him and his brother, against their parents' will. And oh. then when the little monkey got there, uh, they hit him. And he was, uh, the, the mailman bought it. And the monkey was so scared that I think what happened was uh, they, they were hiding the monkey somewhere. Uh, the mother caught them, said to them, if your father finds out, you're going to be in big trouble. They said, no, we'll keep it. So they kept the monkey in the cage a little longer. And, and who knows how long he was uh, in the airplane and stuff. So the monkey was already going crazy. So the aunt said, oh, it's a cute little monkey. And when she opened the door, the monkey bit her finger, ran away into the woods. And they were hoping to find it. And then a week later, they found him dead underneath a tree. But the problem was that this was true. And in fact, I remember as a kid, that I, I think it was uh, a little puppy. They would sell a, a puppy in a cup. Like they, show, they, they, told you, they showed you a picture of a cup and a little puppy. And it would tell you that you had to go to Newark Airport to pick it up. And they would send it to you from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So this was still happening at around 1978, 79. You could still buy them. Uh, of course, with the laws and regulations, everything stopped. And then the the... The same company that used to sell those pets started selling the seahorses. I think they went later changed the name to Aqua Aqualand Pets or something like that. But this is definitely true. And the thing about the alligators, of course, everything gets blown out of proportion. Like, oh yeah, huge alligators, man eating. But all that stuff actually, um, it's true. <laughs> you know, there's really it's urban legends that have a a, a truth behind them. You know. Now, now, I have a, a really, now this urban legend, it's kind of like an urban legend trick, and this goes back to the 1600s, but I'm sure Jenny and Teresa will remember this as soon as I say it. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Oh, yeah. I do remember this. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. We, I remember playing that. <laughs> oh, man. We used to play that in school. All the, I mean, we used to, in, in grade school, we would we would play it. And I went to a Catholic grade school and we would still, you know, play it in there with the teacher. And for anybody out there that doesn't know what light as a feather, stiff as a board, because I don't even know if, you know, kids still play it or if people have ever heard of it. 
but what you do is you have the person who's going to play uh, the, I guess the person being lifted lay on the floor and then you get four people, uh, one at each arm, one at each leg. And they all look at the person and they say, she's looking ill. They repeat it several times. Then she's looking worse, which is also repeated several times. And then, uh, you know, as they're chanting that, you know, she's dying, they repeat that. And then finally they chant, she is dead. And then there's several variations, but the one I remember is everybody would rub their hands together, you know, walking in a circle, and then they'd stop at their position after one full circle, and they would put their hands over the, the dead person's head to transfer the energy. And then they would put their, their fingers underneath the, the armpits or the, um, the knees or the, the chairs of chairs were being used, and you would chant light as a feather, stiff as a board, and you had to everyone had to lift at this person would actually lift up and it was you know such a freaky thing you know especially when when you're young or if you're at a um you know a sleepover or something and it's late as not late at night to do something like that but that was always a cool trick and there actually is some science behind it you know if people want to you know you could look it up and see the science behind of, of why that person's able to be lifted up so easy but Man, that was a trick that we played all the time. I mean, it, it, it was so cool and, and spooky at the same time. You know, you know, Joe, uh, you you guys are teaching me something as what the difference is between uh, a 27-year-old guy like me and 40-year-old <laughs> people like you. Okay, because this is kind of funny. I didn't in my I went to Catholic school all my life. In fact, that's the only type of school you can go to when you grow up in New York City as the public school system over there has always been horrendous. So I always went to Catholic school and the Catholic school that I went to was called Incarnation, which is located in 175th and St. Nicholas in Washington Heights. And as I was going there, the only thing I remember we did at the time, uh, which I think there's a, a variation of that that they do today, which actually was kind of dangerous where they kind of hold people's breath up against the wall until the person passes out. Uh, oh, we yeah. had a similar situation, but what we had over there was that you would take your arm and you would stand it between a door frame, of course, and you push, like, you know, you raise your arms to the door frame. But when I'm saying raise it, arms by your body, and then you start raising them and you touch each side of the frame. And, and with all your strength, you keep doing it for about 15, 30. Then when you let put your arms back to your body, they will automatically lift by themselves. <laughs> But you have to do it, you know, you have to hold it in, in person, then the muscle will react. And that's the thing I did. But um, I never played those kind of weird games of light as a feather, which I never heard before, by the way. And really? This, you never? Now, Jenny, no, I never did. I'm sure you guys have heard of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, we used to play that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that you guys, uh, I guess there was a big, and this is something I'd never thought, and maybe a lot of people my age don't even realize. Uh, now, I know you guys are all between under 40 and 40. Uh, I think Joe is the oldest here. There, look at the difference between uh, between what I did growing up and what you guys did in the eighties. Um, that's amazing. It's amazing. The I just never really. This is something I just. It's dawning on me of how much difference people go through, and you can talk about stuff like that that I am like. I never heard of it. Like, what in the world is you know? Like, you know, it, it kind of makes me wonder, and maybe. Um... Maybe Jenny and Teresa could talk a little bit about this, but what do do kids do any, I, I guess maybe not kids, but teenagers, do they, do they do any type of those games or tricks anymore at sleepovers or in school? Jenny or Teresa, do you guys know of any, any of that? That's um, I can't really say, I mean, a lot of my friends have very small children um, and I have a couple cousins who are like 18, 19 now, or maybe like, yeah, and they're, te they're teenagers, but no, I think technology has taken over Well, and I don't think they're doing <laughs> the things that we used to do. Unfortunately, yeah. I will stand by the fact that like the, 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 you know, the decades that I grew up, like I'm very fortunate for, because, you know, while I am happy, technology has come such a long way. I'm, I'm you know, I thank my lucky stars for having to go out and play and use my imagination, my creativity 
and my social skills um, that I think carry me through very, very much today. But um, no, I'm, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think they do. They, you, here's something I'm going to say, because I do have an eight-year-old grandson. Actually, he turned nine now. And I'm going to tell you guys that it, it boggles my mind. I just don't understand what's in their little minds. But my grandson was terrified of coming down from his room a couple of months ago. And the reason, and this is in broad daylight when, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning, when all the lights there, my, my daughter used to get mad at him. And I said to him, what are you afraid of? And he was afraid of that. Now, the funny thing about this is that Cartoon Cat is a Felix the Cat lookalike. And, and you know, it's stupid. It's like a uh, cartoon. It, if you look it up, it's a stupid looking cartoon. And I'm like, why would they be afraid of a cartoon? <laughs> and, and and I guess they, they do put in themselves little legends and stuff like that. So I guess that there is a, every generation is different, of course. Well, Eddie, maybe, one we, maybe you need to toughen them up with some Bloody Mary in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but but that, I mean, that was kind of funny because I'm like, what? I even told them, I said, what the heck would you be afraid of a cartoon? That's so dumb. Uh, but, well, maybe but it was it, just something in, in the show, you know, they can like make kids can make things up and Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, they have, you know, they have, uh, if you guys know um, the ink machine, Bendy. Bendy, I think, is, is is I didn't realize it was so old. It goes back, I think, to the, the 60s or 50s. Bendy looks like a Felix the Cat, and he's supposed to be an evil. In fact, the cartoon is like a little, or the game, the video, kind of evil and stuff. But I guess they put a lot of stuff in little kids, and, and kids have a wild imagination. I mean, mm -hmm. I was a... I, my God, if I went to bed, at, my mom used to watch a soap opera when I was in New York. And exactly, and this is never forgot, 12 Midnight, Chiller Theater would come on. And this was a famous movie thing that every night, Monday to Friday, Channel 11, would have Chiller Theater. But when it came on, they showed Thunder and they showed in the Thunder when they like, you know, in black and white. And, and then all of a sudden, you saw, if I saw the head, that's it. I couldn't sleep that night. Man, I would be there. In fact, I remember that in the living room in New York, my mother built next because my grandparents were like in, in the living room. That was their bedroom next to the living room. And they built, they took a drape back in the 70s. It was very, I mean, very famous for people to actually do this. They would drape part of your living room and create a, a bedroom there for the kids if they didn't have enough bedrooms. So the drape was the only thing that separated me from the living room. And I had my bed there, and my grandfather would sit in a chair just watching me fall asleep. And let me tell you, I was so afraid that I actually covered my head, and the only thing I would have was my nose out to breathe. And, and, and I was terrified, man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I tell you what, if you if there's any kids out there listening, or even adults too, and you really want to have some, some nightmares and be terrified, just... Just do an image search of vintage Halloween costumes, <laughs> and it'll bring up kids' costumes from the 20s to about the 50s, early 60s, and they are straight out of nightmare. Some these costumes, I mean, you look at them compared to you know costumes you know from the 80s to today, and you know most of them are, are homemade, and they are just they are spooky. I mean, they're they're straight from nightmares. I, there's no other way to put put some of these costumes. You know, Joe, one thing that just boggles me, boggles the mind actually when you said that. If you look at Fangoria, and I'm sure all you guys, Jenny and, and, and Teresa, I'm sure you guys know this. Fangoria is a magazine that deals with horror films. It has a lot of grotesque, a lot of blood, a lot of everything, and it's a horrible magazine. One time I ran an ad, or I tried to run an ad in the early 80s, to sell a book on how to hypnotize people. And they told me that they couldn't run it because it was inappropriate for their audience. And I said, <laughs> I spoke to the lady, do you know what you're telling me, man? <laughs> they actually didn't run it because it was inappropriate. I go, a hypnotist book is inappropriate, but you can have somebody gushing the blood out of some other human being. That's okay. It's so crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, hey, we, we're, we got about 10 minutes here. So, um, we, we, is there anybody out there that, you know, Jenny and Teresa, any other uh, stories or urban legends that, that you guys could recall? And uh, Jenny, we'll, we'll start off with you. You got any any final urban legends? 
Um, yeah, well, speaking of kind of teenagers, I have a more lighthearted uh, urban legend uh, back up in Scotland. Um, so Edinburgh Castle, um, uh, if you guys have ever seen it, it's a really beautiful castle. It's, it's actually built oh, in I've an old... Oh, I've been there. Oh, lovely. It's gorgeous, yes. isn't it? And it's, yes, it's, it's um, absolutely stunning. It's, it's sort of right in, the, right in the middle of the city. And the, the legend, or I suppose myth, is that if you, as a, as a student, I think you probably have to be a university student, if you walk mm-hmm. under the drawbridge, you're going to fail all your exams. And so none of them, oh. uh, none of them want to walk <laughs> under the drawbridge of that university because you have to go under, um, if you've seen it on one side, you kind of can't really get to the castle without it. Um, but that's the uh, that's the myth up there. So all of the Edinburgh University students don't dare walk under that drawbridge if they if they've got exams coming up. <laughs> that's cr- that's pretty cool. I like cool. that. Yeah. Now, Teresa, what, uh, you got any final stories to tell us? Any, anything else from? from the- yeah, there was one more. Yeah. So as like I said, I graduated from Bloody Mary to Ouija boards. The last and final thing I probably did as a teenager. Um, was try to find um, a place called, and as I know, this is not politically correct now to use this term, but at the time it was called Midgetville. And apparently it was here in New Jersey because I, there were some, my, my guy friends in high school, once we got cars, right now it's like, you know, we've, we've graduated from sleepovers. We got cars. We thought, let's go and try and find Midgetville because it was, um, it was something that they had written about in Weird New Jersey, which was like a magazine that would come out maybe week. I'm not even sure, honestly, how often a monthly magazine, perhaps. Um, and it would be just about weird things around New Jersey and urban legends and all that. So that we all tried to go find one night on a Saturday night because what else was there to do? But try and drive <laughs> all across New Jersey to find small little homes where you believed a group of small people had been living and uh, knock on their doors and see who comes out. And, and <laughs> fortunately all the, t- all the areas where we were told that Midgetville existed, um, we didn't end up fighting uh, or seeing any little people. So. You know, Teresa, I got to tell yes. you, and it's so funny that you said that. That goes back to my time as well. Now, the Midgetville, or supposedly, in fact, that was the time also that that famous song came out called Short People. I don't know if you ever guys heard it. It says, short people have nobody to love. Well, anyway, it's a very famous song. It was played all over the radios in the 1970s. I forgot who came out with it. But um, the story was that that little area was somewhere in Fort Lee. Like when you go down, like underneath the bridge, there's a road that goes. And they said it was where Midgetville would be. And there was another famous legend that if you go up Route 17 towards like Mawa, they were called the yeah. Jackson Whites. Remember those? The what? Jackson Whites. The Jackson, the Jackson Whites? Yeah, the no. Jackson Whites are, uh, are supposed to be a group of people. Like they would tell you that before you got to the, the border of, of New York State and New Jersey, going up Route 17 North uh, to stay away, like in the Mawa, Totowa area. They were mm-hmm. the hills. There were people that lived in the hills that were intermarried between themselves, whatever. And they oh, were a mix. So they were called the Jackson Whites. And that that myth, uh, which is kind of funny, though, I, I did read a little bit about it. Uh, they're kind of like it goes back. There was a group of people called the Jackson Whites. But what they would tell you is don't go into because they can actually kill you. They would shoot you. They were hillbillies. Oh. And I one time I remember when I got married, I was going to drive and I said, that's kind of crazy. And I called the police department in the Mawa, I think Totowa, I'm sorry, Totowa Mawa. I think it was Mawa, I forgot. And mm-hmm. the guy actually told me, the desk uh, sergeant or desk, whoever it was, told me at the time, just make sure you stay in the And I said, well, is there such a thing? He says, well, we don't know what can happen in the mountains. So I don't know if that kind of said it was true. It was not true, but that story, just like the midget one, that mm-hmm. goes back to a long, long time. And I wonder if there's some truth behind it. If you actually look at the books or do a Google search on it, it'll give you more in-depth details. And I think there is some credence to to those uh, two legends. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, we didn't like we didn't end up finding it. I mean, I didn't really expect to, but it was just a, a wild night of driving. <laughs> when you're <laughs> 17, 18 years old, you're like, great, it's something to do, right? Yeah, um, it it but, is crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. But you know, another thing too is funny that back in the 80s, you would see a lot of little people. Today, they're kind of you don't see that many, and 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 that's very interesting. You don't see that many uh, coming. Um, yeah, I guess. They're I've seen a the, few here in Jersey Billy. City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're all living their lives, and we don't we don't realize it. Um, but that is funny. One thing I you know just reminded me really fast, and I'll um, I promise I'll uh, I'm done with stories and urban legends. But when we would drive, right, um, as you know, as a group of teens in a car, and there would be someone with their lights, you know, coming at you, but their lights were not on, and we'd always be like, "Do you flash them?" Because oh, it was it was always that, an yeah. urban legend where if you flashed a car that didn't have their headlights on, that they were gonna all of a sudden turn. Well, so you yeah, never I, like I, you I, thought I, you were being courteous, but yeah, it was actually more of like you could get killed. Well, that that story that you're talking about came in weird New Jersey a couple of times, and they said it was Clinton Road which is an old road in South Jersey by uh, English town. And they say that if you go there and you drive in the middle of the night, and I know somebody apparently who, who was testing the thing, a car came, he said, I mean, I, I don't know. Those are probably a lot of legends and stuff, mm -hmm. but um, that's, that's a very common, all those is kind of funny, Teresa, because those were from the seventies and yet somehow you're just blowing my mind. You guys are telling me about, Bloody Mary and stuff that I never heard, but yet you still had the same legends that I grew up with. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different how a lot of the, the legends have a, a backstory. And if you look at some from United States to Europe, Asia, you know, in the different Americas on how there's just several variations of, of each and they all have these different backstories. And, you know, if you talk to anybody, you know, theirs is the, the true original one and everyone else is a, you know, a, a part of theirs and I, I think it's really cool just to learn you know some of the the variations and some of the, the stories you know definitely you know Jenny had some great stories from over in Europe some that I, I've never heard of and some that I've heard some different variations and then you know also with Teresa's to kind of like a nostalgic trip back to you know middle yeah. school when we had sleepovers and and doing all these these crazy things and you know how far we've come to today because you know of course technology has taken over so i don't think that there's you know too much of that going around anymore it's almost like a a lost sleepover art or or middle school <laughs> to, uh, to play those games or, or tricks and all that or even to sit around and and you know tell stories because and that's what we did a lot too was at sleepovers or you know even at recess in school is you would tell these these urban legends and you know of course you tell your friend he tell his friend and by the time it got to 10 more people, it was a, it was a completely different story. So, you know, I think that's kind of like a, a lost art with a lot of these kids, but, um, but that was some great well, conversation. They can just Google it. Yeah. yeah they can now, just Google it now. Now they, they can sit around with their iPads and phones and just Google it and, and nobody they has fact to check each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, really. Well, so, guys, hey, you know, something I was going to say, if you look honestly, when you look at all this stuff is, Anywhere, especially dark in, in South Jersey, or any, you know, there's so much legends that could actually be formed or even. But you know what? You guys are giving me a great idea. What a great idea would be if House of the Unusual had a uh, one day an actual YouTube episode on debunking those myths, such as the Jackson Whites or the Midgetville we spoke about and see where, you know, if, if there was any credence to it. Um, yeah, guys there's are definitely great ideas. There's definitely some stuff to, to look into there, and we're going to wrap it up here. We're down to about a minute. So, uh, Teresa and Jenny, once again, a huge thank you for, for coming on and, and sharing your stories with us and joining us in this uh, conversation. It's always a pleasure. Uh, for everybody out there in podcast land, thank you for joining us and for listening to us. Uh, you can always find us on your favorite podcast platform. Or you could head over to houseoftheunusual.com and we have a link to the podcast there and we have a free forum that you could join and join in the conversation with other people and meet some new friends and help us build the community. 
Also, you could find this on YouTube. Just search in houseoftheunusual.com and we have tons of great videos out there for you to, to watch and enjoy. So, Teresa, Jenny, Eddie, thank you all for joining us and have a wonderful night. Yes, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, good night, guys. It was a pleasure, guys. Good night. Bye. Bye.